This is a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. Go to allthews.3cr.org.au. Marvin Gaye there and Mary Wells. What's the matter with you, baby? We acknowledge Indigenous Elders past, present and emerging and acknowledge that sovereignty was never ceded in this country. It's National Reconciliation Week in Australia. On today's In Your Face, Peter Waples Crow from Thorn Harbour Health joins us to talk about Indigenous health and kindred surprise. Joins us a little bit later to talk about podcasts of pride where queer folks can share their stories in a bar atmosphere in Melbourne's historic West. But we do have Peter Waples Crow in the studio. Hello, hello. Hello, James. How are you going? I'm very well indeed. It's an action-packed show. Tell us about queer Indigenous health and your work at Thorn Harbour. Yeah, and I should also be plugging my solo art show. <laughs> well, yes. I guess they all weave together, you know. So I've got a show at the Koori Heritage Trust, the Yarra Building at Federation Square. It runs till the 28th of July. It's called Inside Out. And it's an exploration of that, just what you were talking about, the intersection of queerness and Aboriginality. So, yeah. Tuesdays I work at the Positive Living Centre, so I'm supporting Mob with HIV, um, living with HIV. And I've been, yeah, also connecting people back to culture as well. So there's been, you know, that's been part of my role, you know, linking people into places like the Family History Service at the Koori Heritage Trust, which can trace down family histories and people you know, are discovering their Aboriginality, so that's really good. I work in health promotion, and next week, on Tuesday, we're running a big LGBTI inclusion training for Aboriginal and non-Aboriginal people who work with Aboriginal mob. So, and it's turning out to be a huge event, so... Wow. That, yeah. Let's focus on PrEP for a moment. What's the uptake of PrEP like amongst Indigenous well, communities? I think we're seeing... So on the trial, I think we're a little bit overrepresented. So I think Aboriginal um, men who have sex with men are getting the message. And, yeah, I think on the trial, it was about 2% of the trial were Aboriginal. So Tell us about this trial in Victoria. Well, it was a trial that replicated real life, you know. So, yeah, and, you know, with PrEP, you have to... Um, have a sexual health check every three months to get your next script and you have to take it once a day. There is prep loading as well, but I won't go into that today, but, you know, for it to be effective. The trial happened across the state and it was very effective and successful, so now it's on the PBS. So I guess... Pharmaceutical benefit yeah, scheme. scheme, yeah. yeah. Much so cheaper. Much cheaper and accessible. So I guess what we've been doing is, like, making sure that the Aboriginal health services are up, you know... In the city, the Aboriginal Health Service here prescribes PEP, but we've got to work harder in the country areas as well. So that's a bit of my role as well, to get the messages out there. We live in a bubble in a bit in Melbourne. so The Melbourne bubble. Yeah, the Melbourne bubble. <laughs> so what's it like in, say, Bairnsdale and places well, like that? I, I went for a visit there last year with Anne Roseman from Batcho, and all that time she was at Hep C, but we went on exploration. And even the word, when people saw the word queer, women in a brochure though some of the health workers sort of freaked out about it and so i thought we've got a, a bit of a way to go to get people thinking about some of the issues that we're much more comfortable with in the city and you know and like getting our reach out to aboriginal people the the, the issue is you know we're seeing a decrease in hiv 
in the mainstream, but an increase in Aboriginal communities, not so much in Victoria in the last year, but across the country there's an increase. And there's more uh, women, Aboriginal women, becoming HIV and more injecting drug users. Like That's sixfold. So that's a different um, mode of transmission and a lot in of the stigma. mainstream. And a lot of stigma. And yeah. I imagine among the workers that work with those communities as well, they have stigmas around injecting drug users and... Yeah. And you know, women that get HIV—that must be huge to get people just to come forward and be tested if they know that that stigma is there. Yeah, I know. I think we have to work harder on um, breaking down the stigma and you know, being open. And I guess I've been working um, with some Aboriginal men living with HIV to get encourage them to become part of a speakers bureau. Or just you know, that I've se- I'm seeing things. So that's one of my roles as well, like nurturing people. And their confidence, because I think it really lacks, you know, what my experience in Aboriginal health is that we lack the voices of Aboriginal people living with HIV and Aboriginal yes. drug users in the debate, you know. You like, hardly hear those you hardly, voices you or perspectives. Never do. And how are it, they different? How are their perspectives different to, say, you know, white people's? Um, how, oh, could you fire away at the questions? <laughs> <laughs> it's good. I think, you know, it is an... An intersection, and, and there's probably double stigma, you know. Like when I, I worked a lot in hepatitis C before, you know, for a long while, and there was a lot of shame around that, and people thought it was, you know, there was misinformation that you'd get AIDS from it. And now we're in this era of biomedical treatment, cures for Hep C. So there's this is an amazing time to come back into this area of health for Aboriginal people, and we've got to get the message out there. I think it's harder to get. In the city, there's a bit more coverage. In the country areas, we've got a lot of work to do, you know, to get, I think, to treat HIV and Hep C better and to get PrEP uptake higher. And it's people seeing themselves at risk as well and not the stigma around HIV being a gay disease, Things like that too, we have to battle in the Aboriginal community as well, that it doesn't affect me or, yeah. Exactly, because if people think it's, it's a gay disease, then they're probably not going to get tested. No, they won't. And yeah, they'll go on their merry way, which we have to make, keep getting the data out there to show that the epidemics, not the epidemic, well, the, the disease is a bit different uh, how it looks in Aboriginal communities. That's really interesting. So we're not calling it an epidemic anymore? I don't know. I just don't call it. I think it is an ongoing epidemic, but the numbers are coming down. I think worldwide it's still an epidemic. I just, I'm just careful of not being too alarmist around it and creating more stigma around it as well. So I think that, you know, choosing your phrases is much better to try to break down some of that stigma as well. You know, I, you know, I take lead from organisations like Living Positive Victoria and, yeah, how we talk about HIV is important as well for creating stigma and breaking down stigma. So, you know, one of the slogans Thorn Arbor Health have well, those days the HIV still matters and I guess we've got to get that message out. For, for a while it seemed to disappear off the radar, probably not in the queer community, but in the mainstream community. I think it did a bit in the queer community yeah, as I well because it, yeah. people wanted to kind of portray this everything's okay kind of persona and image during the marriage equality debate. Didn't want to give the other side any ammunition to yeah, use against that's true. us. So I think that's symptomatic of just how we kind of threw ourselves under the bus a bit during that time. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. So how do you target an HIV awareness campaign at Indigenous communities in Victoria? Well, you know, I think... What, I'm trying to reach out to groups affected. So, you know, I've been to barbecues 
you know, just make, and through partnerships, one-on-one referrals are really good. You know, just you know, having a really contact with people. When I worked for the Torch program, which was a program that looked at art and prison, you know, people coming out of prisons doing art to um, make some money and um, stop re- recidivism. That gave me unique opportunities to go to people's houses and then I could talk about some of the other issues like drug use and then that leads on to getting tested for hepatitis or getting tested for HIV as well. I guess it's getting the message out to get tested and get checked and that we need to get people on treatments. I think there is a good... We've got the Rapid Testing Centre down in Collingwood, but, it, yeah, it doesn't always target everyone. So, What do you think about rapid testing? I mean, I, I find it kind of a bit of alarming that, you know, you can kind of just have a little test and all of a sudden get a result. Is there kind of counselling built into it? Yeah, there's counselling built in, and, yeah, you have to be – there is counselling built in, and you have to have your test confirmed, but it gives you an outcome, like, in a short period of time, and I guess it's about getting the group of – People living with HIV who don't know they've got it, you know, and getting them under treatment. And then we know there's U equals U, so undetectable equals untransmissible. So if you're on treatment and your the viral load gets to untransmissible, you can't pass it on at all. So these are all new messages that we see in the broadcast into the, maybe to the Melbourne, to the city, queer communities, to the gay communities, but... I don't think they reach out into the rural areas as well and they don't reach out into Aboriginal communities. So I guess I'm trying to, as an Indigenous worker in Thorn Harbour Health, which is, you know, a predominantly white queer organisation and I'm only a part-time worker, but, you know, it's making sure I partner up with other parts of the organisation to do projects that think about cultural inclusion and think about messages that might get out to the Aboriginal community as well. And I guess a real device is, as you say, actually talking to people face-to-face. That seems to be particularly effective in Indigenous communities rather than the internet. Yeah, and word of mouth. And we're seeing a lot of digital campaigns, and I just don't know their reach into Indigenous community. No one's... We've got to have the the internet, for one. You've got to have the internet, yeah. the mobile phone. Yeah, it's true. And you've got to be... Yeah, so, yeah, there's a lot of digital attempts, and I just don't think social media... it's going to be the answer for Aboriginal communities as well. You know, I think we're up, to, we've got a high take it uptake of, I think we're just going to get clear messages out there and, um, how you get reach people. I don't know. You know, you've got to sort of go through health services where people attend and where, you know, but Aboriginal people can attend Aboriginal services or they can attend mainstream services. So you just got to cast the net wide and try to get messages out there, I think. Tell us about the work you do in relation to gender diversity and uh, queer Indigenous health, those intersections. What work do you do there? What I've been working on with Elizabeth Morgan House is a family violence refuge centre. There's things happening, like people might have heard of the Rainbow Trick Ticket accreditation that makes your service more ready for you to deal with the LGBTIQA plus clients appropriately. So, and it's a hard process to go through, but there's no Aboriginal orgs have ever got one. So, you know, I'm part of a program that's going to fund five orgs and, you know, we're developing an Aboriginal specific training. So we've been thinking about that too, because next week we're doing a day for Aboriginal health workers and non-Indigenous workers who work with Aboriginal clients on LGBTI inclusion. So a short training day. And there's already like 70 people registered to come and we're going to have to run another one. So I think it's really that's timely. too, that there has been no organisation that's got the accreditation. That obviously reflects the barriers Indigenous health organisations experience when I dealing th- with queer issues. Yeah, I think 
there's some I use an Aboriginal service and I'm happy there as a queer Aboriginal person, you know, I find that service okay, but not everyone does. And, you know, it depends whether you, you want to be out of there or if you're comfortable. I mean, it's up to each person. The services are really um, wanting to shift and I think it's really timely now that, that things are happening in that space and it's very exciting, you know, I think it's long overdue and, you know, I've been pushing issues like that in through Vacho and where I worked and through the health services and trying to put it on the agenda. Yeah. Because my experience is like I came first had a queer identity and then my Aboriginality because of adoption, I grew up in the Waples family, you know, and I came back to Aboriginality later on, but I already had a queer identity and it was a, yeah, there was a lot of homophobia and stuff as I journeyed back, but I think things have improved and we just got to take it one more step. I think, as queer mob in the city and you know i we live again it's sort of like a information bubble or you know sometimes we forget you know when you step outside the city what it can be like for queer people you know so mm. absolutely peter waples crow thank you so much for joining us oh, today on 3CR. <laughs> oh, you did indeed and uh, good luck with the exhibition give yeah, us a plug come, for that uh, it's called inside out it's at the curry heritage trust in the Yarra Building in Federation Square. It's 9 to 5 most days or 10 to 5 most days all week. And, yeah, just stop along. You know, it's a, sh- it's a look at my life and where I'm up to and my art that explores that intersection of being queer and being Narigo. So, yeah, and I'm really proud of the show and I, I'd encourage listeners to go and have a look. Yeah. Thanks, James. You're listening to a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned to hear the rest of your 3CR podcast. Beautiful music of the Fuji, still relevant today, 20 after 40 on In Your Face on 3CR. With James, I'm joined in the studio by Kindred Surprise. You're doing podcast surprise in, in Footscray. Welcome to 3CR. Oh, thanks, James. Thanks for having me. Now, look, I was doing some research about you, and I was fascinated by the fact that a few years ago you went to the lodge. Tony Abbott was Prime Minister, and you got into his ear. Do tell. <laughs> well, yeah, I um, I kind of got a little bit annoyed with politics at the time and decided to get some really nice knee-high boots and fly to the lodge and pay the then Prime Minister who, yeah, let, let's face it, no longer has a job or oh, a pension. He has. Um, but anyways, at the time, thought I'd go and visit and just let them know that uh, no longer were homosexuals fighting for equality, but it was homo sapiens, so humans were coming and it better watch out. And the interesting thing was they actually had the spill about eight days after that visit. <laughs> so I'd like to take a little bit of credit for that. And he was actually there and you spoke to him? No, no. There was a gentleman by the name of Tony there, however. He was actually... Like uh, the butler? No, he was the landscaper. <laughs> so when I knocked on the door or press the buzzer and asked for Tony, a Tony came to the gate, but it wasn't really the one I was after. How disappointing, because I, I think that would have been wonderful in those boots to actually give him a serve. Yeah, well, the cars as they were passing by and saw me get back in the limousine that I'd hired to arrive in, I'm sure they went home and wondered what the hell went on in the lodge that day. Wow, you did it in style, that's <laughs> sure for sure. Did. So look, you're the host of I Am It Is, which is an online video channel, and you're obviously a person that knows how to reach people, because you had a chat 
with our Conchita Worst, who of course won Eurovision in 2014. What did they say? I'm a big Worst fan. Uh, well, it was really interesting because apart from them winning Eurovision at the time, I really didn't know a lot about them. So all of a sudden on the way to Adelaide to interview them, I read their autobiography and it was really interesting to see people's stories are very similar in a lot of aspects, particularly if you're an artist growing up in the queer community. So there was a lot we could relate to. But we just had a really good one-on-one chat about winning Eurovision, about just before she won, how she dropped her mic in the toilet um, and had to stick a hand in and grab the mic out and pin it back on her before she went back on stage to sing that final song. So it was kind of nice to see a little bit of a human element there. Wow, and a little bit of grunge with Eurovision. That's nice to see because often it's a bit, you know, non-grungy. Yeah, yeah, I know, right? So it was good. It was good that she um, was quite open in talking about, you know, you know, not, everything's not always as fabulous as it looks. There's some stuff that goes on behind the scenes. Now, look, you are doing podcasts of Pride in Footscray in Melbourne's historic West. Tell us all about that. Sure. So there's a, a, a bar that's um, been operating now for over a year. It's called Pride of Our Footscray Community Bar. It's a cooperative bar, so actually two, over 200 people own the bar. Um, I'm a shareholder, and it's a community bar in spirit. So it kind of felt fitting that... I would look to start doing a podcast which involved the community. So essentially it's, um, hasn't started yet. It's about to start, but it's essentially anyone's story being told in front of a live audience, but then also filming it and recording it and then uh, publishing an audio and, uh, some video elements of the interviews. And in Melbourne's West, which has a proud working class history as well, I imagine, are uh, you going to be evoking some proud queer working class stories, which is something that sometimes we don't really hear much about? Yeah, and um, I've already had a, a, a brilliant response with people wanting to be guests on the show. We've got some trans male people coming on. We've got a transgender child who's 13 coming on. got some transgender hardworking people out there in the West. But most importantly, it's also an opportunity, even outside of the queer circle, for, for example, Fiona Patton's coming, the leader of the Reason Party. She recently was a guest at a drag bingo night that I filled in for Abra Latrine, who's a fabulous resident drag queen there, and they're coming back. So it's really about trying to... I just think that, you know, storytelling is so important, and I feel in a, in, in a world where there's so much social network going on, on on your phone and not actually out there in person that we need to kind of bring that back. So I wanted to get people in, have get them having dinner, having a few drinks, hearing stories from different people that, you know, will empower people, inspire, perhaps even bring out some emotions people didn't, you know, realise they had or they've bottled away, but I feel that's important. And, you know, there's community connections there as well, and you can get up and speak, and people actually know that you're real, and you know that the people that you're talking to are real, and that's something that we don't always get in the online world when people share their stories. So you've got that kind of um, that bona fide happening there as well, which must be very reassuring to people. They can actually get out of the house, meet people, and connect. Yeah, exactly. And uh, there's also going to be an opportunity for people to be able to uh, submit questions before the podcast or come along. Uh, or if you're a guest at the bar at any other um, day of the week, there'll be boxes there where you can pop your questions in for whoever's coming up. Um, just a real opportunity to be able to engage and, yeah, as I said, just bring back that whole storytelling aspect and connection and um, just, yeah, just making it real.
Now, I'm fascinated by the community bar because, of course, pubs are increasingly becoming like multinationals. They're in chains, if you like. Your local corner pub is under a lot of pressure. They're closing. But yet you've got a community group together to actually create a bar. How did that happen? Uh, look, essentially, uh, the, the head bar chief, Matt, put a, a call out to see if people wanted to throw in to get a bar happening. And yeah, their response was quite overwhelming. The good thing about it is it's, um, as I said, it's such a community in spirit in that this isn't your average bar. I mean, you go there one night and you've got poets, um, you've got dancing lessons, you've got a community choir that practice, you've got uh, live bands, you've got a piano man that you can sit and sing songs with. There's a trash and treasure market starting there. It's like... It's actually a community and you have people coming in that in their own time helping renovate or clean up or do different things and it's just a, yeah, it's a different kind of feel that I'm used to. How would you describe that feel? Family. Wow. Mm. Connected family and that's another issue. People are, you know, don't always have family in the queer community yeah. or if they do it's family of choice rather than biological family. Yeah. So you're creating that as well. Yeah. And I think, um, that you, you touch on a really good point. I mean, I know for myself, I've, my family, I found a lot of the times growing up where I, I'm, you know, my queer family I met in venues, um, and that's why they're so important. And there's, you know, like when, when we see them closing down and why that's a huge issue for younger people that may be disconnected or have no family, that they have spaces like this where they can come together. The other thing that I really love about the community bar is, uh, Matt, the head bar person is, uh, he has, you know, employed a trans woman and a trans man and I just feel that providing employment opportunities for people like that in this community is very rare and is a credit to what's happening in that space. And it sounds like you're really trying to encourage gender diverse people to share their stories at Podcast of Pride as well. Yeah, that's right. And we've even, I mean, the response has been so overwhelming that I've got people that want to fly in from interstate to come down. Glitter Supernova, who's a huge um, artist in the queer space, wants to come and talk about something they're doing in the central coast of New South Wales where there's uh, zero visibility. It's called uh, Coastal Twist. So they want to come down and talk about that. Yeah, and I'm a little bit uh, excited, but a little bit also like, oh, my goodness, what am I doing from a logistical perspective? Because, you know, I'm, I don't understand audio <laughs> and I'm going to have to understand it. Well, I've got a team, actually. I've got some volunteers. I've got uh, Rihanna Gamble, uh, who's a videographer, and Will Butler, who's a sound person who are donating their time and effort into trying to make this happen. Awesome stuff. We are out of time, but just give us a plug for how people can access more information about Podcasts of Pride. Yeah, sure. So you can follow us on Instagram or Facebook. Just uh, look for Podcasts of Pride. And if you do have a story and you'd like it to be told, please email us at pop at prideofourfootscray.bar. Kindred surprise. Awesome, me and you. Thanks so much for joining us You're in your face. James. Thanks. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.